Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. I am glad to be here with you today. We're continuing on this series of how do I do that? What I've noticed is that some of the questions that we're asking seem to be pretty basic. Others seem to dig their fingernails in as I'm writing it. These are things I'm walking with you through. This topic we're going to talk about today kind of came about because I was thinking about this reading plan that I'm doing with this group on version, We're doing Plans with Friends, and it's by Mandisa, the Christian artist. She describes briefly a dark period that she has gone through and how God has dealt with her on that and taught her about that. And it reminded me, there are times in our lives when we go through a dark period, we're not flourishing in our relationship with God, and one of the reasons can be that we are in need of restoration. How can I be restored? We need restoration in various capacities. There isn't a single one of us who likely had not needed to answer and act upon this question. I suspect it's common today because we can, most of us, relate to the sensation of nearly drowning in our own selfishness. That never ends well. (laughs) I don't know if you've experienced that, but it doesn't end well for me. You and I can be routinely faithless, oozing with mistake after misstep, virtually untrustworthy when it comes to the God of the universe. Oh, we can cover the internal accusations up with a new haircut or bed them down to where we can't hear them for a while with the music in the car. We can numb them with substances and false paths to temporary happiness. But too often, that little voice continues to make it through to cause us to ask, am I worth it? What do you and I do when we feel we might be too far gone for God to reach down to restore us? Maybe we've really done it this time, or we've done it one too many times and we're afraid He's just done with us. Or the situations have, or the company we keep led us into sin, and now we are covering it up. Maybe you haven't even told anyone. What are you and I going to do in those situations. How can we find restoration when we feel we might be too far gone for God to mess with? Psalm 61 2 says, From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Thankfully, the Bible, written by real people with normal emotions relating common human experiences, offers comfort. We learn from the psalmist, we are not the first people to ever encounter defeat, faithless living, sinful behaviors, or a sense of hopelessness. Psalm 34, 27 says, The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. I love that because it's not just troubles that have happened to them. They've walked into, they have no control over. This is all of them. These are even the self-imposed ones that we often get ourselves into. And when it comes to restoration, David assures us God is equal to the task. 
In Psalm 23, 3, he says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David literally attributes God as enabling his life to return to him, his very life. He also restores the part of him that can become exhausted or worn out, anxious or broken down due to the heaviness of continually facing whatever life brings. And within a number of chapters, David cries out and fully expects God to do it again. And I love that. He says in 71, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. What we learn from David is that if you are feeling like you're not restoration material, jumbled with defeating thoughts and whispering notions, you might not be worth it. There is hope. It is God's character and history to restore. Zechariah 10.6 says this, I will strengthen Judah and save the tribes of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. How can I be restored? Let's spend today looking at a couple of examples of the kinds of people or types of relationships God has a history restoring. And maybe these will shed some light into what you can do or what you need to allow the Lord to do to restore your relationship. First of all, God has a history of restoring relationships with the one who has really messed up. Praise God. The Bible is chock full of narratives portraying individuals who really messed up. Today, our focus turns to Aaron, the brother of Moses. Why look at him? Well, Aaron is more like us than we would like to think. He blew it and he knew better. Aaron was what we might call a spiritual elite. God had chosen him to lead. He was serving in a prominent position, and the people revered him. Scripture describes him as the mouthpiece between Moses and Pharaoh. Privileged was this man to be on the platform as one announcing the word from the Lord. If all this were not enough, previously Aaron had been selected to go up the mountain into the very presence of God. And we have this from Exodus 24 Uh, 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the Lord of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. It was in the midst of all that awesomeness and honor that Aaron blundered. This trusted pillar botched it to the degree we would have exercised church discipline at a minimum, unfriended him from all social media platforms, and blocked his number. Within a short stint of leadership, Aaron caved to the people's demand to forsake the Lord and make idols for them to worship. I don't know if you recall this. We find this in Exodus 32 between verses 1 and 5, and I'm just going to sort of scan them. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And then later he says, And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. 
And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. He was like a sympathetic substitute teacher who allowed his class to run amok, subsequently aiding their bad behavior. Then he lied about his participation in the theatricals to cover up his failings. And we know this from chapter 24. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now that's sort of true, isn't it? So I said to them, this is where he begins to falter, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Aaron proved to be a lousy leader and undeserving of the responsibility involving the worship of God because this is where he failed in the middle of Aaron's gross offense. In the middle of it, while he's doing it, God was preparing to give him the priesthood on the mountain with Moses. And we have this in Exodus 28, 1. Call for your brother Aaron and his sons Nadab Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel so that they may minister to me and to be my priest. This is what's happening on the mountain while Aaron is totally messing up down below. Oh, how I wish we had the backstory. I want to hear the exchange. Can you imagine Aaron's own repulsion of his wickedness, the shame, the embarrassment, the problems that could haunt him for the rest of his life, all stemming from his weakness demonstrated in in those nauseating moments of failure. But there, in the midst of his shattered shards of failure and regrets, poses the infinite wonder of a God who forgives more than he should and entrusts more than we would. Where we brand ourselves unworthy, wallowing in shame and defeat, God offers restoration. Aaron is given a new identity right at the tail end of the instructions he gives to Moses about Aaron and his job. He still gets the job, which is uncanny. In Exodus 39, he says, They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And this is what Aaron wore. That's amazing. For those of us who have experienced the weightiness heralded by our own blunders, thinking our use to God is null and void, there is hope. God restores people like Aaron who really messed up. He will restore you too. He will restore me too. God also restores the heartbroken. Isaiah 61, 1 tells exactly what Jesus comes to do. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. My sweet friend has a life story that no one would guess and none would envy. Tragedy began early with the death of her brother in a drowning accident. The loss was bitter for her family, but this would only mark the beginning of tragedies for her. After she married, her husband experienced a massive heart attack very young, leaving her alone with three small children. She soon buried her parents, but in the middle of heartache, God graciously introduced her to a gentle soul 
who too had experienced suffering and they married and together raised the children. After the son married, his wife experienced an aneurysm while pregnant. The baby alone survived. The son remarried, still in his 20s, but passed away all too soon. If that were not enough, his second wife became ill and died, leaving his grandson an orphan. When the grandson grew up, his car was struck by a drunk driver, instantly killing the young man. My friend has experienced heart-wrenching calamity that is unheard of, resembling that of Naomi's in Scripture. In Ruth, we find this. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Mahalon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's verses 3 and 5. And then later in the chapter, it says, when she returns back to her homeland, don't call me Naomi, she told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Both realities, Naomi's and my friends, beg the question, how does one live through such heartache without bitterness or psychotic depression? I didn't know my friend during those years, but I can imagine she responded much like Naomi. That would be natural. The emptiness would be unbearable. Choosing to get up in the morning or stop crying or feel again become legitimate struggles. There are no psychological quick fixes or human solutions for how to push through cavernous wounds loss creates. But we can be certain God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit and he heals them. For this is exactly what the Psalms declare. In 34, 18, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And in 147, 3, it says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I asked my friend how she got through all the loss and the brokenness. And she said, I don't know exactly. I just know God was with me every step. I couldn't get out the door for her battery of blessings. She needed me to know. I'm so blessed, she said. How could she say such a ludicrous thing after all she had been through? It was as if I had opened a pipe plugging Niagara Falls. Let me tell you, the Lord has seen me through everything. And I sat down to an afternoon of wonder and awe. My sweet friend is the living, breathing truth and bodily form of restoration. It's very much like the promise in Joel 2, 23-26. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. He will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. The causes of the heartache are under God's sovereignty. That's a difficult concept, but they're under God's sovereignty. These are the evidences of a world that groans through brokenness for final restoration, which will come. But he doesn't leave us there in this hurt-filled state to live out our days. God is a restorer. These are only the beginnings of the kind of people in situations, God has built a history up restoring. Those of us who have really messed up, 
beyond what we believe he could restore and certainly use and those who have suffered immense tragedy and loss who may not even know how to get out of bed in the morning or why they should. You need to know your story is crucial, but it's not unique in that God cannot work you through the pain to land you on the porch trying to drag someone back into your living room to tell them of the faithfulness and goodness of God in your life. Oh yes, he can and he does. I don't know what you need in your life, but I know God is faithful to his word. He can replenish what the locusts have eaten. Even if you're the one who did the destroying yourself, even if I'm the one who did destroying myself, he can restore us when we have really blown it. And he will be with the brokenhearted every step of the way. May you and I pray for God to do a restorative work in us that is so transformational that the evidence of his presence doing the work turns this world upside down. If that is the remarkable life you want to live, to not be defeated by self or situations or casualties and loss, let him restore you. He, my friend, can do that. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.